hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be giving you guys a recap of the Thunder Golden State Warriors game. Going to be breaking down the current lottery standings, and then I'm going to be talking about the trap game that is going to be played tonight versus the Sacramento Kings. But starting it off with this Warriors game, man, the key notes here was... Uh, really, yeah, it was. Uh, there wasn't really much more than just this, but they need to limit Steph Curry. If Steph Curry went off in this game, you would have called it off. Like, if Steph Curry is dropping 30, 40 points, there's not really a way they the Thunder can clap back. And with them giving, you know, getting Dort back in the rotation after he missed the last game due to, I think, Pateller, uh, a Pateller injury, it was nice, but he did not seem in full swing for this one. Um, and then you still had other injuries too. And the main one, which I didn't address yesterday, I don't think was Ty Jerome and it's a little bit weird. Um, and I think currently if I pull up, he is out for a calf injury. So in the last game, I think he led the, the thunder with like 23. They just didn't play him. So there wasn't that point guard off the bench and it didn't seem like a big deal at the beginning of this game, but as time kind of progressed, you saw the, uh, the issues that it caused, but to start the game out, it was all about Steph Curry, and in the last game, I think he played, dropped around 34 points, and that's, I think the third quarter, he had like 21 or 24, point being, I mean, they just didn't need to play him in the fourth quarter, it would have been like a huge middle finger to the Thunder, but he goes out there, and immediately, he is dominating, so he hit two straight triples to start the game, Oklahoma City actually responded though, and they did it because Darius Basey was the man to begin. He was the guy taking the ball up. He was driving in, dishing the basketball around, and even getting to the line. So he was very solid there, and he actually scored the Thunder's first 7 of 11 points. But then that kind of you know eased back. So the first 4 minutes was fine, but then Steph Curry was able to get the ball back into his hands. And then he sounded off a total of 11 points in the first five minutes, and that caused Dagnault to get pretty heated. He had to call a timeout. The Thunder were only down four, though, and it honestly felt like the, the game should have been blown open, but they were just down four, 15 to 11, and then they went right back out, and Golden State just continued to pile up threes. Two more threes went in. Steph Curry hit the first one, and Draymond Green from the top of the key. He did not have much pressure on him because of Curry driving in, so he just had to spot up nothing but net and then you were looking at a 21 to 13 golden state warriors lead so the thunder were kind of stuck playing catch up on the warriors and they were able to kind of get the lead down to four points several times in the first quarter but then they kind of had a lapse in the end and uh it was just because steph curry was still going off last 12 points for the warriors came from number 30 in the blue jersey so he had 12 points and that was the difference right there that those 12 points um really helped out because the warriors were up 12 37 to 25 through the first quarter and curry almost single-handedly just outscored the thunder he had 24 points while the thunder had 25 curry went six of nine to get his 24 points but just look at the shot distribution he went five of seven from the perimeter went inside obviously for you know like a simple floater 
But the big deal that kind of boosted it was when he was attacking the basket, he was getting foul calls left and right. He had more free throws than the entire OKC Thunder team in the first. They only had five. Steph Curry had seven, and he's not going to miss any shots. So he went seven of seven there to, to boost it up. But yeah, I mean, he was a problem from the get-go. He was out there the whole entire 12 minutes because there was just no solution for him. And, you know, starting out that second quarter, that was the big problem and really the only problem you needed to talk about. You lock down Steph Curry, you let other guys kind of shoot the basketball. Yeah, but, um, yeah, that was kind of the, the mindset there. And it was a little bit tough at first just trying to piece together things to start out this second because you have no SGA. Um, and with, you know, Ty Jerome out, who's going to play that backup point guard spot? It's not like you have... George Hill anymore. It's not like, you know, Maladon is able to slide in there. No, he's playing full-time starting minutes at the one. So there's no backup. And with no Ty Jerome, you had to get really, really creative. And this is kind of pulling out from a trick that Dagnalt had to use back in February when they were so drained of players and when we got to see the birth of Hamadou Diallo running the one. But he had this like really weird mix match small ball not even small ball positionless lineup where everyone I don't have the exact heights but everyone seemed to be around like three to four inches um near each other but the lineup was this Kenrich Williams, Svi Mikhailuk, Josh Hall, Jalen Horde, and Gabrielle Deck. Those guys there there's not a point guard out of there and some of them can't handle the rock. I think Josh Hall is able to get away with it sometimes. We've seen Kendrick Williams kind of be the initiator, but there's no set guy. And honestly, I don't think they've ever gotten run together. And I can probably just assume that because, you know, Gabrielle Deck has not been surrounded in that five-man rotation before. It hasn't been an issue until last night. But when they got out there, it was kind of trying to search for an identity and figuring out, you know, who should get the basketball. And one of the things I liked from that lineup was, they were getting the basketball around to other players, but they were not really getting open. It was more of just isolation. Everybody gets their fair share of turns, and if they get stuffed, you kind of pass around the perimeter and kind of hit the reset button, but there wasn't really any set combination. There were a couple of nice backdoor cuts you saw, but outside of that, it wasn't like guys were just driving in, getting two guys on them and kicking out. That just was not part of the equation there, and because of that, you know, the Golden State Warriors were able to kind of hold them back. They started the quarter on an 11-4 to run because, you know, they were able to hold them down on defense. But also, the three was still on lock. The second unit hit three triples in that span. And then they were up 20 points. They're up 55-35 to right inside the six minute mark and Oklahoma City got back I mean they got some of their starters in the rotation that little experiment didn't work all that well had a couple of moments but they got the starters in and they went on an 8-2 run to kind of help out a bit narrow it to 14 but then the Golden State Warriors hit five straight got up to 19 and there was no sort of momentum there if anything the Warriors had the momentum back and that's just how it stayed. I mean, the Thunder had a, a nice series of plays in the final six. Not often enough, though. I think the best play of the game came in that part, though, at least for the Thunder. Isaiah Roby was slashing inside the basket, took it um, from the left side, 
and I think it was a fast break play. So not everybody really was in their set positions, but I think he he caught a body on, I think it was Juan Toscano Anderson, but he was right below um, the restricted area. And, you know, he, he kind of tried going in on Roby. It wasn't like a head-on, like he just gets trucked midair. More like he took a jab to uh, to the left side of his body. But he came flying in, and Isaiah Roby uh, was able to get through the contact and throw down a really nice one-handed dunk. So everyone got excited there, but they were not excited about the halftime score. They were down 73-48 to 48 at half. And it was largely in part to the Warriors finishing on a 10 Oh, run. And I know you guys can probably already assume who was putting up all the points. It was Steph Curry. Not especially in this quarter, but he was still giving like a heavy, heavy influence on uh, on the roster there. But for the Warriors, that 25-point lead was the largest they had that entire half. And, you know, they weren't shooting like the Indiana Pacers whenever they posted like 82 points or something. You know, the... the I think the Pacers shot like 66, 67% at that time. Maybe it was even in the 70s. The Warriors only shot 54%. But, you know, it didn't matter when the Thunder are shooting 30% from the floor. That's still a huge, huge gap. But the main deal was, yeah, you can shoot 54%, but it's not like they're coming from twos. All these shots, for the most part, are coming from the three. So it just racks up on top of each other. And by the end of it, I mean, it was really just Steph Curry leading the charge. He had 27 points at half, 6 of 10 from downtown. And then other guys were kind of piecing in. Draymond Green, of all people, he had three triples, went three of three in his uh, 18 minutes in that first half. That's more than he's had in the last 20 days. He's not really a perimeter shooter at all. But that just kind of tells you the impact he was having. Everyone was having to guard him. He was getting double teamed when he went down below. They wanted to test guys like Draymond Green. That's probably what Dagnall wanted them to do. But it just really backfired into their faces. And Green, I mean, he had 15 points at uh, at halftime. But for the Thunder, they still had that problem where you don't say, okay, we have a Steph Curry and we have a dude who can you know, play second fiddle like Draymond Green. I know the last one for that first half, it was Andrew Wiggins, for example. There are guys who can fill those roles, but it's not a sure thing every single night. Steph Curry's a superstar. You know, there's a reason why he's in the MVP race pretty much every year. He's healthy uh, because of the stuff he's doing. But yeah, we just don't have it. SGA was that guy, but since he's hurt, you scrap that. You don't have anyone here who's a surefire, put you you know, with 18 points by halftime every game. It's just not going to happen with us. Sure, Baisley can get hot. Dort can get hot. Even Maladone can get hot. Other people, like even Moses Brown, will go in and give you a double-double in the first, you know, 15 minutes of the game. But it's not going to be every single time. So this was just another game where no one took that prime role. There were a couple of good people, Lou Dort especially, because he had 12 points at halftime. But he wasn't shooting at a good rate. He was shooting 4 of 10 and uh, just everyone else was kind of in that range where they were getting points, but it was at a very, very bad efficiency. So kind of just needed to to get that out of the way. I know, I think entering the halftime tunnel, there was a reference, maybe it was Chris Fisher who said it, but he saw that like um, he was hobbling a little bit to the locker room. So maybe that patellar injury was still kind of nagging on him. And, you know, that'd be a good excuse to get pulled out the game. 
he actually didn't play, or excuse me, he did play in that second half. So probably, you know, was just a put some ice on it and get back into action. So it was a good thing. I mean, luckily they got Dort. But uh, on that flip side, Steph Curry was walking through the tunnel and he was gearing up to play a good portion of that third quarter. So it was bad for them. And after two minutes, the Thunder were down 30. That's pretty much the game. And, um, you know, they're, they're trying to fight, but Steph Curry, he kind of flipped back into that video game character we, we've seen before. So he got in and he just wouldn't miss threes. You're talking 32-foot jumper. Next three that goes in, it's 35 feet away. He's getting double teams from Baisley and Jalen Horde at that left wing. Does a step back, catches him off for like a millisecond. Shoots up a rainbow three, nothing but net. You just saw that constantly, constantly, constantly. And it got to the point where just around that like three-minute mark, he was done. Like he just did whatever he wanted. That's the play I'm talking about where you had Horde and Baisley trying to really pin him at the left wing. He just did a simple step back, was behind the hash, popped it, nothing but net. On that next play, Maladone shot like a simple pull-up three, whatever. And then Curry is going on the fast break. And he's navigating traffic. There's about like two or three guys already in formation. But they didn't even want to risk it. So Maladone just hacked him on his right wrist as he's trying to drive up for like a pull-up. He's like 40 feet away from the basket, damn near. Fouls him. There's that call. Takes one more dribble and just launches it. And it's still nothing but net. That's how just on fire he was in that third quarter that was the play that stuck out to me I mean you could just watch the overall body of work here he just by himself on some of these plays he was dragging the attention of three different warrior or thunder players and he didn't even have the ball he was just that big of a deal to where you know you could just find a wide open dude in any of the corners if you wanted to it was all about Steph Curry and that's where you get to him like having a run around screens um, you know, maybe like a right wing screen goes up to the top of the key. Draymond Green would have to toss it back like three feet and he just chuck it up and it go in. That happened multiple different times in the game. And by the end of that third quarter, he, he actually outscored him. He outscored him in the quarter, outscored him 22 to 19. And I mean, at the time it's pretty much over. The Warriors were up 106 to 67. And yeah, I mean, just talks to the levels like how how great he is honestly you need to watch the highlights here like me just telling you some of these plays it doesn't do it justice like you'll get that imagery in your head but boy like I could talk about for 20 minutes every single one of these shots that he was taking like he was he was just on another dimension when he was playing um and the thunder I will say a lot of them were not that heavily contested it was just He'd stroll up, cross that midway point, and maybe like Dort would close out, but it was like a pretty late closeout. It wasn't great defense, and he just hit it. I think like three straight threes he made too in like a one-minute span came at that top of the key right over Lou Dort's head, and some of them were all right. Maybe like one I thought was pretty contested, but you know, not a lot of pressure there, and for him, even if there is a ton of pressure, he's still going to knock it down. He's unconscious from three. So Oklahoma City just caught him in one of those games. So he he followed up that, I think, 24-point quarter with a 22.1. And by the end of the third, he already had 49 points. 
And Steve Kerr didn't have a reason to throw him back out there. There's no reason to get him injured. They're damn near up, what, 40 points at the time? So they just want to toss out their bench unit and see how things kind of shaped out. And that's kind of what Mark Dagnall did too, is about getting the young guys involved. And it was still, you know, the Warriors just running right through them. It did not matter who was shooting the three ball. Jordan Poole shot four of eight. You know, Juan Toscano Anderson hit two threes. Nico Mannion, who hardly even plays, he got to play the whole entire fourth quarter. He had another Curry esque, like, off a screen, catch and shoot triple, nothing but net deal. And uh, even Alan Smelnak, I think I butchered that just a little bit, but this is a guy who they got out of their G League system like two years ago in the draft. He hasn't really played much. They got to throw him in for nine minutes, and even he had a three to go in. So it was just a straight-up party going on in San Francisco. And, yeah, I mean, they just kept pummeling and pummeling the Thunder with these shots. They got up to a 48-point lead in the fourth quarter. And, you know, when they ended up winning at that final horn, 136-97, to it was just it, – it felt like one of those games where – the Warriors scored like 150 points. It, it seemed like they were scoring at a better rate than the, the Pacers were when they faced them about a week ago. But yeah, I mean, you just really could not get any um, any good momentum in that second half for the Thunder. I don't even know what their longest run would have been, probably like four points. But yeah, I mean, they could get on their run, but it just get followed up with a three. And it didn't matter if it was Curry, would have been anybody else on that squad. So when you look at it as a total, Steph was the man with his 49 points, went 14 of 26 from the floor, 11 of 21 from three. The Thunder, they only had nine made triples. They shot 37 of them. So they were trying. They were trying to shoot threes, but yeah, I mean, it was just not good for them. And when Curry wanted to get into the open space, which they really could not care about the twos at some points. He just got in and he'd get hacked. I mean, he went 10 of 10 from the line to end things and even had like three pretty sweet layups. Only had two assists. That's not, you know, that's not too characteristic of Curry, but it did not matter. He did not need to be a distributor in this game. There was no one who would have put up the same numbers Curry would have. I don't even know if throwing to a wide open like Kavon Looney for a layup would have been a smarter decision than Curry jacking a three up in front of two different guys like that was just how he was feeling and as I said it was so infectious that I mean the Warriors as a whole they had 27 threes go in and that was at a 50% rate they shot 54 of them overall so that's 81 points that they found just from beyond the arc when you talk about their 15 free throws I mean, that would have been just one point shy of what the Thunder had overall. That's not even taking into account what they had on twos. That is ridiculous. So that's just how it was. And by the end, they had a 58% shooting clip. So it was even better when they were trying to uh, to shoot the basketball inside. And, you know, they were still passing it. I know the big kind of footnote from the last game was, they had like 88% of the time their shots came off an assist. They had 31 assists on 47 made field goals, and they only had 18 turnovers. Thunder, that's the good thing here. They only had 13 turnovers, and they had 21 assists, but 
I mean, they were shooting just above 40%. That's not good. And when you're shooting 24% from three, it's just not going to be your night. Same goes when you're going 12 of 20 from the line. So it was really rough there. I mean, Curry, that was the main guy. Draymond Green, he didn't even need to score in that second half. Still finished with a 15.13 assist double-double. Andrew Wiggins got 18 again. Jordan Poole had 16. Juan Toscano Anderson at 12. Just top to bottom, no one could uh, could miss any single shot. And for the Thunder, yeah, I mean, there was a decent amount of misses. On on the night, I mean, Svima Kailuk was actually a pretty good bright spot. He went 7 of 16 on the game. That's not great shooting-wise, but um, you know, it's better than what we saw from a lot of people. That 17 got him a team high. And he went two of seven from three. And that's something you don't see from him a lot. He's normally hovering around like the 38 to to 40% range here. And he only went 29%. But yeah, I mean, that's the best that we had really. I thought he didn't look pretty good, you know, driving into the basket. But um, yeah, I, I just don't think the three was really working out for anybody really. So I can't really bash him for stuff. Behind him was Lou Dort though. I mean, he had that 12 point first half, had four points in the second. So he went 5 of 13 from the floor, 3 of 7 from 3, and 3 of 4 from the foul line. And then you kind of got into this little weird grouping where everyone was getting anywhere from like 13 points to to 10 points. I think around, I think 3, yeah, 3 guys, no, 4 guys got caught up in that nest. Kenrich Williams had 13, Jalen Horde, he had 13, Darius Baisley had 11, and Teo Maladone had 10. I really liked what I saw from Jalen Horde, and I think I am kind of at this point where I like him a little bit too much. I liked Frank Jackson way too much in the preseason. I made like a whole freaking uh, tape evaluation on him because I thought he'd be on the team. I was like, look at how good he is. He could be a gym here, and then we just you know got away from him. Haven't gotten to a point where I've made a a tape for Jalen Horde, but... I've, I'm kind of a sucker for him, man. Seeing him in the bubble, he was all right. Like, he wasn't the star of the show. That was clearly Moses Brown, Omer Yurt 7, and even guys like Rob Edwards to a smaller, um, smaller degree. But he was still kind of in the conversation. And then he came over here to a really just injured roster at first. And he was great. And then he just got the minutes taken away. Every time we play him, he seems to be really impressive. 5 of 11 from the floor. 0-3 from deep. He can't make threes, but inside, he's probably one of the best guys we might have on this roster. And I'm not joking. He's very good. And even went three of four from uh from the foul line. Not a lot of rebounds for him, but yeah, I mean there's potential. I don't know if he's going to be kind of one of those Marshawn Brookses or the Anthony Randolphs who have you know some promising tape on him and then just get banished off to like uh, the CBA or the Euro League or something, but someone needs to give him a shot, and I guarantee he'll get some time in the summer league or he'll be in a training camp. But I think he deserves like an actual contract because he definitely is is on par for. I think he's like 21, 22 years old. He's on par with a lot of these guys, and I think there's a lot of potential if he's able to crack open the three, which I don't think that's very high. He'd be on a roster. Just the inside game alone, though, there's enough seeds there for, like, a tanking team who doesn't have already 50 million 22-year-olds to pick him up and kind of just see what they what they have in him. But, um, 
yeah, that's kind of just my two cents on him as a player. I, I I really like him. I think that he definitely could be on someone's roster. That's kind of like one of those deals where in limited minutes he looks extremely, extremely good. And then sometimes you'll amplify him to like, um, I don't know, like what we've seen from Isaiah Roby. He's looked really good in times too, but then he'll have those like sucky games where it's like, would he be right off of the cut in, in our roster, like even in next year, the year after that? And there's all those moments that he has on tape. Someone needs to pick him up though. But yeah, that's just my little tangent I have, uh, have going on Jalen Horde. Really like him though. And Kendrick Williams went six for nine. He always seems to be like really consistent in terms of shooting. Doesn't matter how anyone else is doing. He's great. Just like Ty Jerome in that sense, honestly. Also had five rebounds and five assists. So I think he actually led the team in uh, an assist. So a lot of the times he was the man in that little second unit weird mismatch lineup. Josh Hall, he only went one of six for two points. I was a little bit disappointed um, about that. Just a lot of different like shot chucking when he was going inside for layups. So I'm not really going to blame him there. But just talking about the two other guys who got to double digits, Baisley went 4 of 12 and 0 of 3 from distance, so he just wasn't feeling it from anywhere on the floor anyways. He got to the line five times and sunk three of them, but even with that, it wasn't pretty. So he had five uh, rebounds to go with it. That's not where he's normally at. Gets like 7 to 8 sometimes, so he's still down really just everywhere on the board and Teo Maladone went four of 12 and two of eight from three. A lot of those threes were actually just catch fire, wide open triples and even pull-ups. I'd say like the third quarter and fourth quarter was a lot of stuff you would just see in like your typical rec league games, just whatever, you know, taking shots on one end, not really a ton of hustling on the rebounds, but just get it kind of replicate each other on both ends and just shoot random shots so that's what you saw especially on that Warriors side but yeah it was a lot of threes and that's kind of where you found the majority of them but yeah even with that it wasn't it wasn't all great for him normally looks really good in catch and shoots and I remember a couple months ago he was actually leading the team he was above George Hill in that category before we moved him but you know looks to be kind of going down a little bit but then we'll have those games where he kind of comes back so he's still a very good three-point shooter just was not his game. Same goes for just everybody. And one thing that kind of surprised me was, again, Moses Brown just got stood up. I thought that this would be a game he'd get a double-double. I didn't think Kevon Looney would even be a real issue for him, but seemed to be. And it wasn't just Looney. It was Draymond Green. It was freaking Smalmanak, even when he was playing like just anybody. I mean, he shot two of eight from the floor, just right around the basket. And he had six points off it because he got to the line. And uh, with that, I mean, he had eight rebounds. So that was a good part of it. You know, he had five of those on offense too. So that helps his case. But yeah, I mean, he's just getting pestered inside now. People kind of have the uh, the game plan on him from the G League because all you needed to do was kind of trap him right under the rim and put your hands down. Only real move he has is just like that rip move two feet around the basket where he'll just go up kind of like KD stuff used to see you poke your hand in on the cookie jar he'll go up and flail his arms around because he'll get to line every time but when you don't do that and you kind of just wait for a second opponent it's tough for him because that second shot is going to be so so contested and he's not really in that mojo right now where he'll be able to just make it on anyone like we saw that two months ago 
but it's not really at that level right now. Maybe he'll get back up to it um, by by the conclusion of the year. That's the hope with him. But yeah, everyone was kind of just iffy. I was a little bit surprised that Gabrielle Deck got 20 minutes in the game. Um, you know, obviously there's a kind of trimmed down roster, but he, he had the game where he had 16 points and he only had 16 minutes. So I guess it's just more of wanting to see everybody a little bit more. Even Charlie Brown Jr. got to play, which I think we all know he's fighting for a G League spot, if anything, right now. But yeah, Deck had uh, had four points for anybody wondering. But this was just all about Steph Curry. I mean, that was that was a a performance that you're going to see in his highlight reels like and I'm not just talking from the game this is going to be a season highlight and hell even the one where he got hacked from like you know 35 40 feet away and drained a three after the play oh I mean just some of that stuff was ridiculous but yeah with the game Oklahoma City dropped down to 21 and 47 on the year and yeah right now they have the four seed but you still need to think about this is really just a three-man race for the fourth seed and likely after tonight well actually I take it back because since we are playing a you know a uh, back-to-back set right now we could still fend off that four seed with a loss here but you need to still mention the Cavaliers and the Magic they still only have 21 wins right now and they're not doing all that pretty right now like the Cavs might have the, yeah, they have the worst losing streak in the league. They've lost nine in a row, and the Magic, they have lost two in a row, but overall in the last ten, they're three and seven. So, you know, that's that's definitely a real key point of emphasis, and there are two games tonight. It is going to be a lot. Obviously, ours is a lot more important because if we lose or if we win against the Kings, you can just scratch all this off. We're going to be on the outside looking in. But there's still a lot of potential for us um, today, and it's not just even through how um, you know how our game result goes, because there is a critical, critical matchup that is going to be played tonight, and it involves the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Orlando Magic. We saw the Timberwolves and Pistons go off last week, and that was the biggest game until that point. Now we have another key battleground game where the winner... They just completely moved themselves out of the race for the most part. And the loser of the game, ultimately, ultimately they're, they're going to be winners because they stay in their spot. But it's with the Timberwolves and the Magic, it's still going to be a lot of just injuries all across the board, really just on that Magic side. The Timberwolves, they're going to have Cat. They're going to have D'Angelo Russell. Anthony Edwards is going to play. Even when you talk about guys like Ricky Rubio, Nas Reed, they are going to be playing. The Magic... They are still so just injury riddled right now. It's going to be Cole Anthony leading the show. It's going to be Dwayne Bacon, Mo Bamba, Mo Wagner, Gary Harris. I could run down the line. You know, Chase on Randall will probably play. And I know they got Dante Hall. He could play too. Also got Admiral Schofield. So it's going to be just tanking on the magic end. If the Timberwolves are playing everybody, which that is the indication, they should win this. And it's going to change the landscape uh, a good bit here and actually make things a lot more interesting. So I didn't talk about it, but the Timberwolves are just a half game ahead of us right now. They're four and a half games away from the uh, Houston Rockets right now. And the Pistons, they're four games back. So there's a one game deficit between the two spot and the four spot right now. 
and with this Timberwolves Orlando Magic game the winner they are going to be all alone pretty much on an island for the sixth best odds because because and this comes down to Cleveland too because they play tonight I'm just gonna assume they lose their game because that's just how the Cavs have been but whoever wins this they're gonna get bumped down one game and the other person really won't move but for the Timberwolves that would put them a half game outside of where we would be right now because right now they only have 20 wins they pick up the W they are 21 and 47 exactly where we stand leading into tonight's game if the Thunder lose they're 21 and 48 so they are up a half game and then it turns into a four-man race for now the three through six spots so it's going to be tough there if that happens clearly you want the outcome to be um for the magic because let's just be honest here the magic aren't going to lose anything outside of this one unless there's a, a straight up miracle for the timberwolves there's hope in other areas but yeah i mean if the magic lose they're going to be pretty much out of the picture they're going to be in a really bad place because they're going to get that 22nd win and they're going to be a whole game away from everybody else so you want to root for the magic to win it's probably not going to happen though so expect an outcome where there is going to be now a four-man race from three to six and that's going to be the timberwolves the thunder the Cavs, and the magic but before you even go into that we have a game that we aren't guaranteed to lose actually this is another trap game and it comes at a very difficult time because this is going to be a baseball set that we're playing so we're not facing this team once and just getting over with it we play them tonight and then we get a one day break and we play them again and who am i talking about it's the sacramento kings and we faced them last week and they didn't have De'Aaron fox they did not have tyrese halliburton they did not have harrison barnes but they had Corey Joseph and Buddy Heald I think both those had like both those guys had 18 points or something so that's a pretty bad roster but at least they had Buddy Heald right um they're not gonna have Buddy Heald in this game so you're scrapping what would have been their star in the game now is it gonna be Corey Joseph who's gonna be the star for you that's not a very good roster you'd be throwing out on the floor so with no Fox no Halliburton no healed and no Harrison Barnes it'll be rough healed is with an asterisk because he is questionable but let's just be honest here do we really expect Buddy Healed to be playing they pulled this last game Harrison Barnes was listed as questionable and he got ruled out like an hour or two before tip time so I don't think it's happening it's gonna have to be a lot on the shoulders of Corey Joseph and their front court guys and the Rashawn Holmeses and um and Marvin Bagley's really so I mean they're capable of it both of those two and Holmes and Marvin Bagley can get points really fast but they don't really have a three-point shot to them so that's an issue Terrence Davis was really good off the bench in the last game we played and he will be good to go so he probably will get promoted to the starting unit um with Heald being out and I'd be okay with that because I think, you know, Terrence Davis is one of those other guys too where he can go off and also score in a uh, in a good amount of kind of frequency too. So, I mean, they're going to be down an arm and a leg, probably just everything. Like they just don't have any real uh, real lineup here. Like this, this is going to be just mix and match. 
hope something sticks. You know, they might also have that kind of mindset, though, where they don't want to win because they are in their own um, really close, closely contested battle from seven through nine right now. They're two and a half games away from seven, and they much, um, they really, really need that, that seven seed, honestly, because, you know, if they got the ninth seed and get um, like an eight to 10 or something, they're kind of just going to be staying in that same exact level. They're kind of plateauing, and they need to get a kind of a home run pick in the draft. So I think this is just where they're trying to sandbag. We are too, but we can't do it to the same degree as them because they have a couple of injuries that were legitimate, but now they're kind of stretching them out. You can say with SGA, we could be doing that. We're not though. Like his plantar fascia is actually torn pretty decently. So he's not going to be playing Al Horford. Yeah. It's pretty obvious that they just don't want to play him, but it's for the benefit of the franchise really. So those two are out, but there's actually a couple more people who will not be suiting up in this game. And it's going to be Lou Dort. He's going to be out due to um, his patellar injury flaring back up. Ty Jerome still will not play. Pokushevsky is not going to play. And this is a new one. Teo Maladon is listed as day-to-day. So if he does not play, there's no point guard at all. Who is going to be the point guard? It's going to be Point Bays the entire night. And that's going to be very, very fun to watch. But it's just going to be like on that second unit where you don't have a guy. Is Gabrielle Deck going to be the point guard? Kenrich Williams? We don't know. We're going in this game pretty much blind. And I think it's the same scenario in Sacramento too. Like both teams are just going to be throwing out very janky lineups that you would never see outside of a really weird situation like this one where it's not just you know like three teams at the bottom trying to tank it's around like nine to ten teams right now so everyone is kind of has their own personal battle that they're trying to to get through and through doing it they need to lose this game so it's just like the magic and timberwolves game probably to a lesser degree because of you know the kings being a little bit outside but you need to treat them just like the Magic or the Timberwolves or the Rockets even. This is a big one. And yeah, I mean, I think that on paper, they probably do trump the Kings. The deal is though, if this is a game where Bays is really bad with the ball in his hands, like if he's getting turnovers left and right, I'd probably say the Kings would win because I don't really know who that secondary ball handler would be outside of him. And off that bench unit, it's kind of just like just like Baisley in essence because they have Josh Hall. He's another one of those guys whose tendency is to just drive into the basket, will up a layup, maybe try to put on a spin move or something, but he just wills up a layup, not really uh, too consistent. So there's an on and off switch and there's a lot of turnovers involved. So if there's a lot of turnovers, they might have a shot here. If this is a game where Bays is just running around doing whatever he wants, finding guys to spot up and they're making the threes, that's the big part you'd probably give the upper hand to the Thunder, and they'd probably actually win this game. But I think the way that they lose this one, if that is the outcome, is there's just not going to be any real ball handler that uh, that services. Because I'll give you Kenrich Williams backdoor cuts every single day of the week. But if they don't have that number one guy, like, um, like that same issue they had last night, it will be kind of what ends them. So that's what you need to look towards. Look towards that and look towards probably the Kings, Front court, Terrence Davis, and how Corey Joseph is able to play. 
kind of as the star of the show. It's probably the first time in his career he has had that uh, that little reference on this, his uh, his way. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See you.